new drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon drive. Goodman Fry. Watch us. MileHighSports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at TFry at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for a wholesale lumber to the public, go to RMFP.com. In the meantime, it is dinner time. It's past 5 o'clock. What are you doing? Highly recommend you go to Smoke and Dave's Barbecue and Brew. They are basically right off of Pecos and 36 as you are driving on uh, I-70. You're going to love going there. I mean, Dave has been a restaurant tour for a long time. It's not just the best barbecue place in town. It's probably one of the best restaurants in town because it has so many things to choose from. I mean, you don't really get catfish at a barbecue place. You don't get chicken marsala at a, at a barbecue place. And it's really, really good. Their sides are fantastic. But when you talk about the ribs, slowly smoke. Their wings are fantastic, slowly smoke. They have a corned beef Reuben that I absolutely love. Their brisket is nice and tender. You're going to love going there. I swear by them. Best barbecue place in town. But again, one of the best restaurants in town as well. Check them out. Uh, right off of Pecos and 36. Time now for the lead. The lead is presented by Smoke and Dave's Barbecue and Brew, Colorado's best barbecue since 2007. Get some tonight in Denver, Longmont, Lyons, and Estes Park. All right, let's go out to the hotline. I want to bring in our Broncos insider, Cody Rourke, writes for MileHighSports.com. How are you, Cody? I'm good, Eric. How are you doing? Uh, real good. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, that training camp is essentially like Christmas for you. You, you know, you get all these days, and every day is like Christmas. But on the jog-through, walk-through, crawl-through days, <laughs> does it feel like you're opening up a package and it's a pair of socks under the tree. Well, you kind of, it kind of feels like Christmas Eve a little bit because you get to see that, you know, the excitement is out there, but you can't open the presents till tomorrow, which tomorrow is full pads, high intensity. So I'm going to kind of give it with that analogy there. Are you getting used to the, to the practice rhythm of the hack of regime? Is it anything, is it, is what we're seeing and what we're seeing done? Is, is it all at all unusual or is this, is this just typical for the league? Um, you know, I think that with the new CBA, you know, coaches are a little more limited now than they were back, uh, you know, several years ago when it comes to how long you can practice. But I think the way that Hackett and his staff have been doing things, they're getting a lot done. Like in today's jog through practice, you know, they opened up with the special teams period. They were working with some quarterback to wide receiver throwing, just working on timing. And then they were able to just go out there during the team period and work on concepts and you know what I mean by that is working on specific routes, specific plays against the defense who's not going to do anything against the ball. The defenders let the receivers catch the ball, but it's just more so on getting that chemistry down pat. They're able to get a lot more reps, I think, in this jog through period than they would in a normal practice, which is a really good thing. Then they transitioned it down to the red zone where they're able to work on that and get, I think, maybe an additional five to ten plays uh, done in the red zone period that they probably would not have gotten. Uh, initially in a team period, and during this time, too, they even split the offenses up, too. They had the first-team offense, and then they had Josh Johnson and Brett Rippon working with other guys, the other offensive units uh, on the other field. So I think it was good. They got a lot done today. Uh, 
kind of, how do I put this? I, I've been out to just about every practice. I didn't go on that Saturday, and I didn't go to the walkthrough today or jog through, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it is my understanding that um, Tani Muti was rotating in with Dalton Reisner. I've been to almost all the camps. I don't remember Muti playing left guard in place of Reisner on the starting offensive line. Hackett was asked about it following practice. He said, we're going to need everybody, and I couldn't agree more. You're going to need anybody. You're going to need everybody. But Moody was the guy who was rotating in originally with Quinn Miners. Mm-hmm. Do you think Moody is pushing Reisner? Are they trying to send a message to Reisner? Or do you think this is now the competition at left guard instead of right guard? Uh, you know, like I said, I'm with you. I haven't seen Natani Muti working at left guard. I know we saw a little bit of that during OTAs, but not during training camp. Uh, you know, part of me is wondering, too, as I continue to see, like, Billy Turner will walk out and go to the side field each day. And part of me, I just wonder, the, the more we see just Dalton Reisner at left guard, even though that we've been told that there's going to be competition, part of me is wondering, are they just waiting to slide Billy Turner over there when he gets healthy? Is there going to be competition between he and and Dalton Reisner for left guard. Because Calvin Anderson, I think, has done a pretty good job so far here in camp. At right tackle, gives them that versatility. And, uh, you know, for a guy who has some athleticism, can step to the outside really well. Uh, but at right guard, as you mentioned, it's been Quinn, and it's been a guy like Natani Muti just rotating in. I, that, to me, I think is interesting, because I know that they want Quinn Miners to be that guy at right guard. And I think it's good that he's getting some competition, rather than just being handed the job. But Natani Muti is a guy that in the preseason can make a very big stake for his claim towards a starting job. Uh, you might disagree with me. Please correct me if I'm wrong. I think Reisner is a better pass blocker than Moody. I think that Moody is a better road grader when they run the ball. But for zone blocking, who do you think the best option is? Ooh, that's very interesting. Uh you know, for me, I, part of me wants to say I feel like Natani Muti. It's not necessarily a bad thing against Reisner. I think that Natani Muti has been trans. Uh, you know, a lot of his offseason training, what he's been doing, has been working on a lot of those athletic outside steps. You know, working on his versatility um, and his ability to move laterally quickly and change of direction. He's been working on that this offseason with Matt Machesney down to six zero strength and. Uh, he looks decent doing it. Now, granted, we only had one full day of pads so far that we had to see. Tomorrow, I think, is something I'm really going to be focusing on those the guards tomorrow a little bit further, specifically in pass pro situations. I'm going to be looking at Reisner. And I'm going to be looking at Moody and Miners and how they do in that aspect. Cody, I'm going to ask you a geeky fandom, fandom question as if I'm sitting on the berm and texting you this question. You know, Russell Wilson looking good is a given. Uh, conceded, not even worth debating, or is it? How has he looked? How has he really looked to you? Well, you know, I think that he's looked good for the most part in their passing drills, running the offense. However, I, you know, I think the defense has gotten the better of the offense to start camp. I mean, when we got to the move the ball period and the first day of padded practice, just uh, yesterday, one thing we saw was that the, the offense struggled to move the ball against the Broncos' defense. Now, granted, is that something that Broncos fans should look at and say, oh, you know, I'm a little concerned here about the offense. I think it's about 50-50. You know, for them, they're still going through the install, but they're playing against a pretty good defense. And, Eric, I, you know, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me or not, but 
I don't. I don't. I don't. Okay. I don't. Well, let's talk about it. The okay. defense has been. The defense has looked their part. Yes, no question. Specifically, the secondary. Yes. And 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 Browning has looked good off the edge. I think. Um, yes. I, I, but the, but the best rookie has been Washington. Don't you think? Oh, by far. Yeah, no, by far. He stood out. Like you know, a lot of people imagine he was just going to have a special teams role as a returner. He's been making plays in camp that suggests that hey, that he's not going to just be a return guy. He's going to be a guy that's going to get some offensive reps this season with the first team at some point. I know it's not sexy to slog with the Hogs, but how many offensive linemen do you think they'll keep? Ooh, well, you know, you have to. Have and I'm bringing this up for a reason. I'm bringing this up for a reason. Yeah. You have to be too deep at every position for the most part. When I look at center, there's Cushionberry, there's uh, Luke Wattenberg, who was one of their draft picks. He'll likely be the backup center this season. There's Glasgow, who's been working with the second team. Not sure what their role is for him just yet. Uh, you know, we, we talk about the backup, you know, the competition between Quinn Miners and Natani Muti. One of those guys is going to win, and one of those guys is going to be one of the key backups. Um, and then right tackle you have calvin anderson right now billy turner more so the you know right. he could be the other guy unless he's the starter and then calvin's the backup well, you don't keep 10 do you don't you usually keep nine i think with the nfl if i'm not mistaken they're adding a little bit more in terms of elevations on game days because i think that they were initially limited on the amount of offensive linemen they can carry on sundays but i think that that has changed um and the fact that the back of a left tackle is Calvin Anderson, so it means that he can play two positions. He's going to be the guy. I would, I would say nine or ten guys. I'd say nine, but I also emphasize, and I think you know this, we all know this, that if a guy can play two or three positions, it may, it may lower that number even to eight. Yep. Well, yep. well, well here, here's the thing, Cody. You look at Garrett Glasgow, and he's going to be a backup, right, with a $9 million dead cap hit. He's not going anywhere, and he's no. not starting. He's also one of the highest-paid guys on the team. And NFL.com, I don't know if you read NFL.com today, but there was an article that said one guy who could be traded from each team before the start of the season, and they picked Dalton Reisner. And that's why I asked you, because yep. his dead cap is low. I can't imagine they're going to cut him, right? He's going into a contract year, but if they think Moody's the guy in Glasgow, could possibly play, you know, left guard in a pinch. And then you have Billy Turner who can play guard. But I, I still believe, I don't think for a minute they brought in Billy Turner who can't play all along the offensive line. I do not think for a minute they brought him in from Green Bay to be the starting left guard. No, not initially. No, the, the, when he was brought in, it was on the basis that he was going to be one of the main guys in the favorite to start at right tackle. But with his injury and his offseason knee surgery and him being behind the curve, yeah. Uh, the team has now moved on to the second option, which right now I think it's Calvin Anderson's job to lose. But then again, we see it happen all the time. They're not going to rush Billy Turner back, and when he's healthy, do they bump a guy like Calvin Anderson out of the starting lineup for Billy Turner, even though that Billy Turner hasn't been able to get any of the reps and Calvin's been able to get them all? I think that right there is a gamble well, um, in and of itself. Well, do you think they look at Billy Turner because of his experience, understands understands the um, zone-blocking scheme, understands Hackett and Outen's concepts, right? Um, do you think he might be like Gregory and doesn't get a lot of work in and then boom, just starts? 
I think that's a very realistic possibility for them. Uh, and I think the reason, as you mentioned, they are the two guys they went and they got out this offseason are guys that have started camp on the PUP list. Now, if you look at Randy Gregory, you're like, oh my gosh, hey, this guy's huge. Like, this guy looks like he can be ready to go today, but it's all about strengthening his shoulder. For Billy Turner, it's just more so making sure that he's got stability in his knee and that he can move laterally side to side without there any, you know, being any, uh, what we call it as, kind of hooking in a sense, like where your knee feels like it's going to hook or buckle. Right. Um, and he's just been strengthening his knee. That's what he's going through right now. It's not like he can't physically do anything. He's just going through and strengthening all the, the quad, the hamstring, and all the, the ligaments outside of the knee, the LCL. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, for the investment they've made in free agency, it makes sense. You still have Calvin Anderson on a very cheap deal, so it's not going to cost you a lot of money. But you maybe want to look at Billy Turner as that guy because he played with uh, Justin Allen and Nathaniel Hackett last season. Right. Understands the terminology. My only concern and my only worry on that is will him having this absence hurt him even though he knows the system because he hasn't been able to be on the field to get the chemistry with the guy next to him. I don't think it's going to hurt one bit. But from what I understand, his football IQ really went up a lot when he yep. went to Green Bay. I was told yep. that by a by, by a longtime NFL lineman who knows Billy Turner, knows the people involved in Green Bay, and, and and they raved about his football IQ, how different he was there than he was here. He has grown a lot as a player. Cody, we'll see you practice tomorrow, man. Absolutely. Thank you, gentlemen. Talk to you later. Uh, coming up after the break, NFL.com's LaDainian Tomlinson, who's a writer for NFL.com. <laughs> Pick three running backs who are poised to have breakout years in their second season. Does he have Javante Williams on the list? Considering he might be splitting carries. That's next. Afternoon drive with Goodman and Fry. Presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive. Goodman Fry. Watch us. MyLifeSports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed. At T. Fry. At Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. In the meantime... If uh, you are looking to work with a guy who treats you like his only client, I'm talking about Eric Cook at Farmers Insurance. He has his own agency called the Cook Insurance Agency. They have over 70 years of experience with his entire staff. I've worked with Eric for five, five to seven years easy. Uh, he does my health insurance. Now, listen to what I say, he does my health insurance. Usually insurance guides do, you know, commercial, auto, home, and life. He does my health insurance. He's one-stop shopping. He also does my auto, my home. Does the same thing for Mandy as well. Uh, he's great at returning phone calls and emails. Again, he treats you like he is your only client. And, and I love working with a guy like that. Give him a call today, 303-790-8089. 303-790-8089. Time now for the buzz. The buzz is presented by Eric Cook at Farmers Insurance. The Cook Insurance Group. Focused on people, not policies. Call today at 303-790-8089. That's 303-790-8089.
NFL.com's LaDainian Tomlinson picked three running backs who are poised to have breakout years in their second season. One guy he picked, Javante Williams. This is what he wrote. Williams and backfield mate Melvin Gordon each had exactly 203 carries last season and were only were the only teammate duo to each have at least 900 yards. While Denver re-signed Gordon to a one-year deal this offseason, I believe Williams will be the primary rusher in 2022. The second year back is able to break tackles with his low center of gravity, footwork, and powerful leg drive. According to Pro Football Focus, Williams recorded 63 forced missed tackles in his 203 attempts behind only Jonathan Taylor. That's pretty, pretty good company. Um... I'll tell you one thing that we have not addressed and I haven't heard anybody else address on sports talk radio. I have not seen this addressed in the newspaper. I've not seen it addressed on predominantly Broncos websites. Okay. Javante Williams is a terrific running back, but this zone blocking system does not fit his skill set. Now you have covered zone blocking. You are more than familiar with zone blocking. What makes a great zone blocking running back? Great vision. Eyes. Great yes. vision. Instinct. One, one cut. That and break downhill, and you're going downhill. That is Melvin Gordon's strength. That is far from Javante Williams. I think Williams Javante, well, you know, he, he girds for contact, and he, he, has, he makes preemptive hits. I still think that can be adaptive to the zone blocking scheme. It can be adaptive. But right now, even he would tell you, Right now, vision is his biggest weakness. Mm -hmm. And they are hoping that he progresses. But in zone blocking, that hole is only open so long. That snap decision-making. And you have to hit it. And if you don't, yes, you can break tackles. But honestly, I don't want a guy breaking tackles in a zone blocking scheme. I want him to see that daylight and run right through it. Well, I think the the, uh, memory is of, of Terrell Davis just breaking downhill. Just seeing where he's going. Great vision. Being through it. Running through the almost, it's more of a seam than a hole. Right. As is almost always the case in anything. You are hoping it has gotten better for Javante Williams. But if I'm just laying it out to you on a piece of paper, his biggest weakness is his vision, and that's the most necessary quality you need in zone blocking. I think he can be pretty good. I think he can get pretty good at it. Well, I, I... I would like to think, I would like to hope, I would like to pray. What I'm saying is we didn't see it in his rookie season. No, we didn't. But I think and he wasn't they, that weren't, way. they weren't running that either, though. And he wasn't that way at North Carolina either. He was a tackle breaker. I don't That's think you're giving him enough credit for being able to adapt to it. I really I think say, he can. I didn't say he couldn't adapt. I said That's his biggest weakness. He's the better player of the two at this point of their careers. He should get more of the carries. I agree. All I'm, all I'm saying is, I'm not saying he's not going to rush for 1,700 yards. What I'm saying is that is his biggest weakness, and that needs to be arguably one of your biggest strengths in zone blocking. All I'm doing is putting out facts. I'm not making predictions. That's a fact. Okay. He will tell you his biggest weakness is vision. The coaches will tell you the exact same thing. Didn't it sound like LaDainian Tomlinson, though, thought he was going to get the bulk of the carries this year? He did. But what LaDainian Tomlinson failed to write is anything that truly has to do with zone blocking. What he said was, he's great at breaking tackles, low center of gravity, great footwork, powerful leg drive. He didn't mention vision. And as you know, from your father being a football coach and being around Gibbs, you know 
what that offense is designed to do. You want a certain type of running back in that system. Again, I'm not suggesting he's not going to have a great season. But if I'm being completely honest with you, who's the better fit for this offensive scheme? Probably Gordon right now, but I would say... It's it's not probably Gordon. It's probably Gordon. But I think Williams is capable... I didn't say he wasn't capable. ...of adjusting to it and becoming becoming better at it. Because and I he think does, he's going to earn a, he's going to earn up to 300 carries. No, have you looked at Ladanian Tomlinson's stats? He had 372 carries in his second year. Yeah, who's his backup again? <laughs> no, who's his backup? I don't know. He didn't have one, but Javante Williams does, and the guy's pretty good. So if you have two running backs, you're going to use two running backs. He's not Ladanian. They didn't bring in a backup for Ladanian Tomlinson, just like they don't have a backup but, for Derrick Henry. But if we just went like through, they really don't have a backup for Jonathan Taylor. If we went through all that rhetoric about we don't want to break down guys and all that kind of stuff, it should have applied to Ladanian Tomlinson. I tell you what, Ladanian Tomlinson too. I don't know if you're a gambling man, but let's just say both guys play a full season. Mm-hmm. They both play 17 games. I'll bet you whatever you want, he doesn't get 300 carries. I'll bet you whatever you want. Uh, I'll take that bet. Well, you got to give me a little bit of an odds, though. Why? You, you said you said very confident. Because I'm always playing the game here. You said it very confidently. He's going to get. Yeah, I am pretty confident. Well, good. Then bet on your confidence. Okay, I'll bet on my confidence. So, what would you like to place on it? A diet coke. Okay, I could do that. Um, when we look at Hackett's offense, so he has his own blocking scheme, a more than capable, and I'm understating it, flash, a more than capable passer. What percentage do you think the plays are going to be called run pass? Well, let's concede that that uh, Nathaniel Hackett did not call the plays at Green Bay last year, but Green Bay pretty much ran the ball 40% of the time and re- passed 60%. Well, that Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And I, and I, and I don't, you don't think that's – they don't view Russell Wilson as kind of the same kind of quarterback? Russell Wilson's not Aaron Rodgers. Stylistically, they're different, I know. Aaron Rodgers is better than Russell Wilson. Not a better person, but a mm-hmm. better football player. I don't think any reasonable person would argue that. Would I you? think I think they're going to end up in that same range: forty percent rushing, sixty percent passing. You know how you and I have talked about touchdown to interception ratio? Yeah. Okay. For a guy who slings the ball downfield as much as he does, and I'm not even talking about, I'm not even talking about um, Russell Wilson. Do you know what Aaron Rodgers' touchdown-interception ratio is? It is beyond stunning. When I tell you this, you're, you're going to fall over. Seriously. So two, two to one is considered to be good. Yes. Three to one is considered to be great. It's five times, isn't it? Nearly. He has 449 touchdown passes and 93 interceptions. And he throws the ball downfield mm-hmm. a lot. Now, think about that. Last year, 37 touchdowns, four interceptions. Year before, 48 touchdowns, five interceptions. I mean, he's only had double-digit interceptions two times in his entire career. That's astounding. He's a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. But how how will that change? What would you think the percentage is going to be of run versus pass here? I think they will pass more. It could be 60-40. All I'm saying is that Russell Wilson is not Aaron Rodgers. But when you have an Aaron Rodgers and a Devontae Adams, mm-hmm. you use that. Yes. You, you absolutely take advantage of that. When you, have, when you have a Ferrari in the garage, this isn't Ferris Bueller and you let it sit there. No, but despite the loss at wide receiver, 
we're talking about how we think the Broncos wide receivers are still a good group. They'll take advantage of that. No, they they are a good group, and I think they have some nice pass catching tight ends. I mean, no no one strikes me. As I mean, a Pro Tim Bowl. Patrick being out is a, is a grievous loss, no question. It's about I it. don't think I don't think it's as big. Uh, I don't think it's as big of a loss as everybody's making out to be. I think it is. He was the number three wide receiver. Period. He's also a leader in that room. That's great. So is Russell Wilson. So is Cortland Sutton. I think he's a big loss. I, I, it's a big loss because I like it personally. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to say it's not a big loss. If you miss the playoffs and you say it's because you lost Tim Patrick, then your team wasn't very good. I, I agree with that. But if you lose Cortland Sutton, then you can say maybe. The Vegas Lions didn't change at all when mm-hmm. Tim Patrick went out. But I'm guessing they might have moved if it was Cortland Sutton. Maybe. He's the number three wide receiver. It's really that simple. So... When you lose your number three wide receiver, I'm sorry, then you don't have a very good football team if it's a big loss if you lost your number three guy. What if they're all, you're looking at them all in, as a group, as a, as, a, as a cadre of receivers who together are, are good? They all do different things well. Judy, great route runner, guy's always open. Corlin Sutton, great jump ball guy. Has has is not necessarily a huge vertical threat, but can get downfield. Tim Patrick is a terrific possession wide receiver, and then you have Hamler who blows the top off the defense. So you have a nice mix of guys. And Seth Williams, who I'm, can be the jumper. Well, if well, we don't know much about Seth Williams yet, because I don't know if he'll be the number four wide receiver. He fits the measurable mm-hmm. of Tim Patrick, but that doesn't mean he's going to be good on third down. Tim Patrick's a great story. And, I, and at the risk of sounding insensitive, and I said it yesterday, he's the number three option. You want the ball in Judy's hands more and Cortland Sutton's hands. And if you are somebody who likes to gamble on football, I don't know what the odds are for catches or yards for Cortland Sutton, but now might be a good time to make a bet. Or let me rephrase that. Yesterday at 8 in the morning was a good time to make a bet because I'm guessing the Vegas odds moved where... Cortland Sutton's probably going to have a better season and same with Jerry Judy. Coming up after the break, the sports world has lost a great broadcaster, a great man, Vin Scully. We will talk about his greatest calls. You will hear one of them, which I think is his greatest call and arguably the greatest call in sports history. Also, what made Scully so great? That's next. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive, Goodman Fry. Watch us at milehighsports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at tfry at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for a wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. Time now for What's Trending. What's Trending is brought to you by Pinnacle Builders, the best in home remodeling. Go to pinnacleden.com. Legendary broadcaster Vin Scully, best known for being the broadcaster of the Dodgers for decades, 
has passed away at the age of 94. He had numerous memorable calls on the mic, including Kirk Gibson's home run in Game 1 of the World Series. Many people probably don't remember. Uh, He was on the radio broadcast for the San Francisco 49ers playing the Dallas Cowboys in 1981. He was on the mic for the catch, Joe Montana, to Dwight Clark. But quite possibly, his shining moment of his career was when he called Hank Aaron's home run to break Babe Ruth's record in Atlanta. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. That, to me, is the greatest call of all time. I think the other significant thing is there that for 25 seconds before that clip, for 25 seconds, while Henry Aaron went around the bases, avoided the two morons who were on the field. I want to just just want to throttle those guys. He was silent. Right. He let the moment speak for itself before he spoke back up and then went into that eloquent, eloquent soliloquy. And I'm guessing it was not planned. Because how would he know that everybody would give Hank Aaron a standing ovation? That line was so profound. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the South. He tied together the culture of the times with the greatest record ever being broken at that time. When people talk about the greatest calls of all time, I think most people would put Al Michaels 1980 call miracle on ice. Do you believe in miracles? Yes. Number two, maybe the giants win the pennant. (laughs) Number three, Howard Cosell down goes Frazier. Then you have Johnny most. How the Jack stole the ball. How the Jack stole the ball. And then Jack Buck. I don't believe what I just saw, which was the Kirk Gibson home run also. But here's the thing. There is nothing profound or memorable about the Giants win the pennant. Down goes Frazier. Havlicek stole the ball. Doesn't mean they weren't good. I didn't say they weren't. I don't believe what I just saw. Do you believe in miracles? That to me, that to me had depth to it. Because they could have played, the, the Russians and the U.S. team could have played 100 times. The Russian, the Soviets would have won 99. I, I believe they played Madison Square Garden in a warm-up game and uh, lost 10-1. to 1. Yes, but right. they all kicked out of them. But there were Giants win the pennant. Duh, right? There's there's no depth to it. It's a great call. All of them are great calls in the moment. Down goes Frazier. And the way Cosell said it, you know, down goes Frazier, right? And just the way he said it is great. Avlicek stole the ball. Avlicek stole the ball. It's like Johnny Most had 15 packs of cigarettes right before Havlicek, Havlicek stole the ball. Here's the other point I want to make about Vince Scully, though. He was as eloquent on a Tuesday night meaning meaningless game in Chavez Ravine yeah. as he was in the big moments, too. That, that is the mark of a great, great broadcaster, is that we remember his, quote, mem- his, his great calls, quote, unquote. Right. But he was great on the nondescript nights, too. He was not a broadcaster. He was an artist. He was a painter. And every game was a fresh canvas in which he put together an absolute masterpiece.
by painting a picture for the listener on the radio of exactly what was happening. He was a storyteller. Right. He was a storyteller. He was an artist. He was a painter. And that's what made him brilliant. Could we, and, and, and so if we're putting him in that category, he's being more than a broadcaster, right? Let's play that clip again and listen to how he ad-libbed this moment in the 1960s. And it was so eloquent and so effortless. That's why it was so And bad. I would ask you, keep in mind, he's, he's silent for 25 seconds before this clip. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. What he could have said, but he didn't. Instead of great baseball idol, of a white man. He wouldn't have the chutzpah to say that. And he probably didn't even mean it. But the truth is, when he tied together race in the Deep South, with all the death threats that Hank Aaron got, he broke a white man's record. It took a lot of courage and class and eloquence for him to do that. Yes. His his call of Kirk Gibson's home run is was just as tremendous yeah. in a different way. It was. The way he built the drama. Yeah. Yeah, I listened to it, watched it again today. Did you? And I hadn't realized I had forgotten a lot of the background, the way he built the drama. And then and then when Kirk Gibson was going around the bases, I'm gonna make this point again, for a minute and seven seconds, Vin Scully didn't say anything. What could he get a job today? Yeah. He, you think here, so? Well, here's the thing. One of the hardest things to do as a broadcaster, whether you're on radio, television, play-by-play, TV, radio, is to understand that silence is a good thing at times. Just like the 25-second gap. Mm-hmm. Let's let the crowd tell the story i don't need to tell the story let the crowd tell the story clearly in television Mm -hmm. you would not say anything but in radio you have to have a real instinct to know that the crowd is telling the story and there are no words that you can possibly say that can make it any more dramatic than just listening to what the crowd was like the other point I'd like to make, though, is that he was legendarily a nice man. Yep. Yeah. I've heard that universally. I. It's amazing how pervasive that viewpoint is. Right. Right. You hear all the stories about him being nice to people in press boxes. Well, it's the it's the old saying, and it applies to a lot of people that you and I know. They are better people than they are at their craft, and really, I'd rather be that. I would rather be known as a better person than a broadcaster. People don't think I'm much of a broadcaster anyway, so maybe it helps that you know I try and be a good person. But my, I mean, I say that you know, jokingly. But that was Vince Scully. You know, there. I mean, you you can think of here. John Lynch is a better person than he was a player. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Champ Bailey better person than he was a player. And you can say that about a lot of guys who Joe, have yellow coats. Joe Sackick, better person than he was a player. That to me is the true test of 
a man or a woman's greatness. What do we have coming up on Argonaut Wine and Liquor, just in case you missed it? We will discuss Zeke Elliott sharing some of his thoughts on preseason football games, and the countdown is on for the Broncos ownership group. That's all next on Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry on Mile High Sports. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive. Goodman Fry, watch us, mileisports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at tfry at Eric Goodman. Um, if you're looking for wholesale on the public, go to rmfp.com. And don't forget, quick programming note, before Terry and I do the show, Scott Farrell on the bench always does the show. Right? That's it. That's how he sounds. That was pretty spot on. You know what? There, I, I, I said to you during the break, there are three people who sound exactly like that. Okay? Avlicek stole the ball. Right? Johnny Most. Scott Farrell on the bench. And? Who's number three? Funky Cole Medina. <laughs> Time now for the final word. The final word. Presented by Sasquatch Casino and Blackhawk. Just in case you missed it, is presented by Argonaut Wine and Liquor. You need to see why Westward named it the best liquor store in Denver. Five years running. Or order online at ArgonautLiquor.com. Just in case you missed it, Cowboys running back Ezekiel Elliott is not expected to play in the preseason. As he said, I've been playing football 20 years. This is my seventh year in the NFL. I've seen a lot of football, and I don't think I need a preseason game, especially with the joint practices. Uh, Some of those joint practices will be with the Broncos this season. Do you think these veterans with, say, five or more years of NFL experience under their belts really need to play in preseason games? They don't, but they ha- somebody has to play in the games. I don't, I don't see any reason for them to have to play. You're like 90 guys on the roster. I know. Right? No, I don't, I don't think they need to play at all. I mean, but do you leave it up in, to an individual choice of each guy? No. You, you, as, as a coach, you say you don't need to play. I don't, I, I, Ellie can come out and say he doesn't need to play. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to play. But I think that should come from the coach, not from him. Because by him saying, I don't need to play, he's showing up as coach if he does believe. If McCarthy believes he should play, now he's in conflict with... If, if McCarthy thinks that Elliott should play, now he's in conflict publicly with his star running back. How about the idea of the cl- the uh, dressing room? The idea of who who's going to be able to sit out, who isn't? Well, I mean, generally speaking, the starters don't play a lot anyway and a lot of coaches it's almost a cosmetic thing a lot of coaches don't even want to play their quarterbacks for the entire preseason just in case you missed it the countdown continues as the walton penner hobson rice hamilton group is six days away from rubber stamp approval as the broncos new owners how should the new ownership group be introduced should there be a full news conference uh, with as many possible being available speaking and answering questions what should it look like 
Yeah, in the ideal world, that's what I would want is is one one time where everybody shows up, speaks briefly, and then is available for one on one interviews. I also believe in uh, Santa Claus. It would be cool to have everybody there, including George Lucas. But, but honestly, that press conference could probably last two hours. What? So? Because, well, okay. So. Wouldn't that be good? No. I don't want to sit two hours. Or, I, I'm not going to a theater production. But you can sit and ask Condoleezza Rice questions all day because she's fascinating. George Lucas's wife. What was her name again? She, and she's fascinating. Hobson, Melody Hobson. She's fascinating. What if George Lucas is there? What if Lewis Hamilton's there? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Penner and Walton. Yes, it would be a two-hour press conference. No, I have zero interest in sitting through a two-hour press conference. Well, they're probably going to add Elton John, Sting, and Adele in the next few days, too. They could. Well, they, they don't have, like the Dolphins, they don't have any singers or tennis players. Just in case you missed it, back-to-back MVP. Nikola Jokic is in Belgrade, Serbia, to join the Serbian national team ahead of Eurobasket 2022. Other NBA stars competing in Eurobasket include Giannis and Luka Doncic. Uh, will you be following Jokic at all at this Eurobasket 2022? Honestly, no. I'll probably listen for very vague word about how his team does. Now he does, but I will not be attempting to immerse myself in it. I'm going to take what you said and spin it differently. You said, honestly, no. I'm going to lie to you and say yes. <laughs> yeah, pro- probably not not the biggest uh, event out there. No. All right, uh, one more. Uh, a mint-1952 Mickey Mantle baseball card could fetch a record price at an auction. It's estimated that the card could exceed $10 million when the auction ends on August 27th. The record is currently $6.6 million for a 1909 Honus Wagner card that was sold at an auction a year ago. The current owner bought that card for 50000 at a New York City show in 1991, so he'll, he'll make a hefty profit there. Are you surprised that the card is expected to go for this much money? Well, I had one of those, except I ruined it in my bicycle spokes. That's, that's going back there. That was a great joke. Let me tell the joke. Okay, go ahead. Avlicek stole the ball. <laughs> <laughs> that was Argonaut Wine and Liquor, just in case you missed it. You could walk into uh, their store off of Colfax. You could talk to their sommeliers. I'm sure I totally mispronounced that. That's somebody who specializes in wine. They have specialists for, for pretty much anything you want, beer, wine, spirits. Uh, I've shopped there for years. Uh, Westward calls it the best liquor store in uh, Denver, five years running, they deliver to the Denver metro area, and every delivery over 100 bucks is free. Go to Argonaut Wine and Liquor. That was Argonaut Wine and Liquor, just in case you missed it. Danny, boy, great to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. You look fantastic. What's new about you? Your hair grew? Still got that porn stash? Love it. Mr. Uh, Mr. Most, what did you think of the show today? Terry stole the jokes. Terry stole the jokes with his... Bike spokes. Make the best possible light you can.